listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. A regular TMT for about a month now because we've been doing some spiritual health surveys. So a TMT is a two-minute teaching, training. Sometimes we do missions reports um, as well. But what we've been doing this year, we're calling this year Belong, and we're really looking as an independent, non-denominational church at how does Life Church belong to the global church now, so we're kind of following the lectionary and the church seasons and things like that, but also looking at how do we belong to the church historically? How are we tied to our spiritual grandmothers and grandfathers and all these Christians that have lived and gone before us? They have so much to speak to us, so much to offer us. And Christina is going to come and tell us about one more of them today. So let's welcome her. Thank you, everybody. Um, Okay, so today's person is David Brainerd. He lived from 1718 to 1747 in Massachusetts. This was prior to the American Revolution, so it was Massachusetts Colony. Um, When he was 21 years old, he became a Christian and felt a call to ministry, particularly preaching. And so he went to Yale to study. Um, And this was the time of the Great Awakening. Some of you might be familiar with that, where there was a great spiritual awakening in, uh, in the colonies, particularly in New England, but all up and down the Atlantic coast. And Brainerd got caught up in that and was part of that. And um, as a new convert and a young, uh, well, he was very zealous for his faith and ended up criticizing several of his teachers for not being zealous enough, which at the time was not allowed Students should pay attention to that. I did not plan this, but (laughs) there it is. Um, Was not allowed, so he got it. Unless he publicly repented, he was going to get kicked out. So he refused to publicly repent, and they they kicked him out. Um, And the problem was that at that time, in order to be an ordained preacher, pastor in Connecticut, which is where he lived, you had to have a degree from either Yale, Harvard, or a European university. So he rethought his actions and wanted to go back to Yale. Some friends tried to get him reinstated, and Yale said, nope, sorry, you blew it. Uh, You're done. Um, So he could not become a minister in Connecticut the way that he had planned, and so he felt locked out from his calling and didn't know what to do. Um, But another suggestion was made at this time that he become a missionary to the Native Americans in New England under the sponsorship of what was called the Society in Scotland for Propagating Christian Knowledge. So it was a mission society. Um, in 17, So he decided to do that. That was the way he could uh, continue to preach the gospel. Uh, and I think he was much chastened by his experience uh, at Yale and by his own pride that kept him from um, finishing his degree. In 1743, he spent a year preaching to the Housatonic uh, Native Americans in Massachusetts. He learned their language, and he translated parts of the Bible into their language. Then the next year, he spent a year preaching to the Native Americans in Pennsylvania, and the year after that, he moved to New Jersey and started preaching to the Native Americans there. And New Jersey is where the Holy Spirit um, uh, took hold of his work, and within a year, over 100 Native Americans had become Christians. Brainerd himself stayed and lived with this community, even though he was actually quite sick. He stayed with them for as long as he could um, until April 1747, when he was so sick that he went to live with Jonathan Edwards for the last few months of his life. Uh, Most people believe he died of tuberculosis, and that was in October 1747. So Brainerd was only a Christian for eight years, and he was only a preacher of the gospel for four 
Um, but his focus was always on serving the kingdom of God, remembering what he had learned, uh, even the hard lessons he had learned at Yale, and, uh, and preaching the gospel to those who had not yet heard it in whatever capacity was open to him. And this is a quote uh, to close from his diary. This is what he wrote. But still this great awakening, this surpassing concern, the great awakening is coming to know Christ. This great awakening was never excited by any harangues of terror, but always appeared most remarkable when I insisted upon the compassions of a dying Savior, the plentiful provisions of the gospel, and the, th the free offers of divine grace to needy, distressed sinners. So that is David Brainerd. Our scripture reading for today is from uh, 2 Timothy uh, 3:14 to 4:5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, able, or who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. I'll never forget my last conversation with my grandpa, Sinkraven. He was in his early 90s. He was dying, and we were in Canada, uh, where he lived a great deal of, the, of his life. He was born in the Netherlands. But he was a Christian through and through, had loved ministry, had loved church life, um, and I was sort of getting into ministry at the time, and he prayed a blessing over me really spoke these, these words into me, gave me some wisdom, and prayed this powerful blessing over me. And I was just stunned by the weight of that moment. Maybe some of you have experiences like that with a loved one who is on their deathbed and gives you, you know, just this rich, deep wisdom or a blessing, and you feel the power of it. You feel the weight of it. Because people in that situation, they don't waste any words. They save the most important stuff for last, right? They, they, they only tell you what they really, really want you to remember. And our text before us is a lot like that. The Apostle Paul is writing as a spiritual father to his spiritual son, Timothy, the final words of instruction before his death. These are going to be the last words that Paul pens to Timothy. Paul's in prison, and he knows his execution is near. He says he's ready for it. 
He knows it's coming, and he's ready to go get his crown. But first, he has some powerful words of instruction for Timothy. And this passage is full of words that have been an encouragement to disciples of Jesus for two millennia, right? They were a big encouragement to me in my early days as a disciple. And I know that we have lots of young disciples in here, so I've entitled this, um, this sermon, Instructions for a Young Disciple. Now, that doesn't mean us old disciples can't get something from it too, right? Uh, you're never too old to learn in the Christian life. But this, this context really is instructions for a young disciple. And last week was so much fun. We got to dedicate six children at one time to the Lord. Wasn't that fun? And then eating cake together, it was just, it was just such a beautiful kingdom celebration. Um, looking at these young disciples and how Jesus thinks of them as young disciples. Like, our kids are back there, but they're disciples of Jesus. He sees them that way. And for those of you who are core students in here, middle school and high school students, this passage is for you. We don't think you wait till you're in your 20s or 30s to start getting serious about following Jesus. I just think that's a bad plan, right? Jesus has things for you to do. He looks at you as an official disciple. You're not like two-thirds disciple. You don't have like part of the Holy Spirit. You are a disciple of Jesus. Um, we have several college students in here today. Welcome. Uh, some of your guests from USF. Uh, by the way, I was in your class 20 years ago with Christina. I wasn't an awesome student in Christina's class, so I'm going to just own that up front. Uh, and, and I would tell you that is one of the biggest mistakes I made in undergrad, is not just sitting at that woman's feet and learning everything I could from her. I was taking biology classes, and I uh, was putting more importance on those things. But... Um, you have a fantastic professor. If you're here today because you're a Christian um, and you're part of that class, welcome. I hope these words are an encouragement to you. I hope they really bless you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. Wow. Uh, we hate that you got to be forced to come to church, but we'll take it, right? Uh, enjoy some time with us. Eavesdrop on the conversation. Ask some questions about Christianity. We're just so thankful that you're here. And uh, it delighted to really look at this passage of Paul's together here to Timothy, which I think can be broken down into three really big, you might call them exhortations or commands, encouragements that he's going to give Timothy. And so he's going to say this, look, continue in what you've learned, preach the word, and watch out for itchy ear syndrome. That's my outline, all right? Continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, preach the word, and watch out for itchy ear syndrome. So let's go. Point number one, continue in what you've learned. This is verse 14. Paul says, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. So Timothy obviously learned from Paul as a spiritual father, but we're told elsewhere in Paul's letters to Timothy that he actually learned most of what he knows about the gospel from his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. These two great godly women. And what did they teach him? Well, they taught him, according to Paul, the sacred writings the scriptures. Timothy had learned these things from his mom and his grandma since he was a boy. And many of you have the same blessed experience, right? You have great godly grandparents and parents who have set you down and taught you about Jesus since you were little. Paul says that's an incredible blessing. Because look, Paul says that can make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And you know, you got to ask yourself, what kind of wisdom could be more important than that? Some of your parents are able, or grandparents are able to give you wisdom about how to fix stuff. Anybody have a parent or grandparent, like how to fix your car, how to do a project in your house? That's important wisdom, right? Some of you have parents or grandparents that can tell you about um, investments. That's important wisdom, right? That'll bless you for 30, 40, 50 years. 
What about wisdom that will bless you for trillions of years? That's what Paul's talking about here, right? So if you have a grandparent or a parent who's teaching you about Jesus, teaching you about how to search the scriptures and how to trust your salvation to your faith in Jesus Christ, that's of incomparably great value, that kind of wisdom. So Paul says, hang on to that, continue in that. But look, he goes on, he also says the scriptures are breathed out by God and they're useful, useful for all sorts of things, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. He says they're going to equip you for every good work. So these are going to help you to become the brilliant, radiant, magnificent person that God meant for you to be. So Christianity is not just about fire insurance. It is about you becoming a radically different kind of person, a beautiful, amazing person that God intended you to be. Paul says, by all means, continue on in what you've learned from your mother and your grandmother in the scriptures. See, friends, the main task of Christians isn't to, um, you know, come up with novel ideas. It isn't to learn new things all the time. But really, it's mostly to hold fast to old things that we've been taught, right? And that's why we're looking at all these spiritual grandmothers and grandfathers, because they're teaching us the same things over the course of 2,000 years. There's nothing really new here. But the challenge is holding fast to those things, being diligent in those things, staying consistent, staying steady in those things. And that's, I think, especially difficult these days. Wouldn't you agree? Um, I, I was just thinking about it this week, that it seems like there's pressure from all sorts of places, a multitude of teachers and voices and, and scholars who um, are really criticizing the Bible in some big ways and, and making it less reliable or, or, or seemingly saying that like, Scripture can't be relied upon. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you really need to depend on Scripture. You need to stick with what you've been taught. It's really, really important. So in order to continue in what we've learned and have firmly believed, we need to know and be immersed in the Scriptures like Timothy was like his grandmother and, and mother were. We have to be able to think carefully along with the church, like we've been doing um, in our series. But also, uh, we're free to ask questions, right, of all the scriptures. We're free to bring our most difficult questions to the scriptures because the truth bears all scrutiny. But at the end of the day, it's important that we're coming to the scriptures with what I call a hermeneutic of trust, right? A, a, a discipline that says, hey, we're, we're going to start by trusting these scriptures, that they're true because they are about the one who is the truth, right? So we can trust them. We can believe them. And that certainly doesn't mean that we're not going to have any questions at the end of the day. It certainly doesn't mean we're going to understand every single thing about them. But if we study the scriptures carefully, if we're immersed in them, and if we're studying them along with the rest of the community of the church, we're much less likely to give in to cultural biases because we all have them, right? Um, every culture has had them since the beginning of the church, and we have our own cultural biases. So our task is to continue on, Paul says, in what we've learned and have believed. And that brings me to one of my first big questions for us today as disciples of Jesus listening to Paul's final words here. And the question is simply this, are we continuing in what we've been taught? Do we know the scriptures so that we can continue in them? Right? It's very hard to continue in them if you don't know them. Um, do we love the scriptures like we read in the Psalms today? Are we using them to teach, reproof, correct, to train ourselves in righteousness? Because if not, that's a good sign that we've gotten off track. It's a good sign that we're not continuing in what we've learned. 
And that's Paul's first big piece of instruction to the young Timothy. Continue on, Timothy. Don't veer off course. Stay with what you've learned and believed from your grandma and your mom. But second, Paul says, preach the word. Preach the word. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Caruso is the Greek word here for preaching, which I find to be pretty interesting because it literally means to herald, to be a herald or to proclaim, right? It goes back to the idea of the town crier, like how news was distributed, which is really significant because this, this text is often uh, said to be a text that you use at, like ordination ceremonies for clergy, um, and, and it really isn't saying that at all. It's really saying, look, this applies to every single disciple of Jesus, something that every single one of us needs to be able to do. Because back in Paul's day, in Timothy's day, obviously they had a town crier that would just stand on the corner and announce the news. They didn't have, you know, newspapers. They didn't have news apps. uh, So they just had to declare it, and they would simply report what had happened. Now, I think that's probably pretty helpful for us, too, as disciples, because what Paul's not saying that you need to be able to do is you need to be able to win people over to Jesus with clever philosophical arguments. Nothing wrong with that, but he's saying, nope, that's not necessary. just need to be able to report what happened. Um, He's saying, you don't have to be able to go around and convince everybody that what they're doing is wrong. Nope, just be able to report what happened with the man Jesus of Nazareth, that he came that he was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again from the dead on the third day to conquer Satan, sin, and death. If you can report that, you're doing your job. You're a herald. You're, You're to preach that good news. And I think that's significant because if the main task of Christianity is simply reporting, simply heralding good news, then that's what's about, that's, that's preaching what's already been happened, what's already happened. So, you know, you see, if, if our task was to um, declare, hey, this is how you can clean yourself up for God. Hey, this is how you need to, you need to watch out. Um, you need to get your act right before God. Well, then salvation is about what you're doing. But see, Christians are called simply to report what's already been done for them. It's a salvation by grace. It's just a gift. And all we're doing is extending that gift to other people. All we're doing is offering that freely, telling them about what's already happened in Jesus. Now, as I mentioned, this job of being a herald of the good news is a job that belongs to all of us. Uh, Michael Green, in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, said, nearly all the evangelism in the early church happened like this, one to one by lay people. So back then, they didn't invite people to a giant, you know, Billy Graham crusade. uh, Because why? That would have gotten you reported, arrested, and probably killed, right? They didn't even invite people to a public church service early on, probably. Because again, you're just leading, what if that person's going to snitch on you, you know? They're They're just leading you to all the people who are Christians in your area. Now, the evangelism happened primarily one to one with people that they knew, people who were in their lives, who they had developed relationships with, and then they started to share. That's how the evangelism happened. It wasn't clergy. It wasn't saying, hey, come see this awesome speaker. Come see this really charismatic person. No, no, no. It was lay people that were working one-to-one to evangelize their friends. So Paul says, we need to be able to herald this gospel too. Now, Paul goes on to say, we need to be ready to preach. 
ready. Um, another translation for that word ready is instant. Be instant. In other words, be ready at the drop of a hat. Be, don't, you shouldn't need any preparation. You should be so prepared for that moment that when God drops that opportunity in your lap, you take it. You immediately start talking. You have your story of what Jesus has done in your life or the gospel story is already on your lips. Now, if you've been in church for the last several weeks, you know we did a few spiritual health surveys. The elders said, hey, we really care about you. We care about how you're doing spiritually. And so we want to check in with you in your relationship with God, your relationship with fellow believers, and your relationship to the mission of Christ. How are you doing reaching people with the good news? And guess what we found out? Sorry if you're surveyed out, by the way, but we found out some really helpful um, some really helpful input on this came from all of you, that a lot of us are really struggling with mission. I don't think that's surprising. You know, coming out of COVID and stuff, we, we've just been a little more isolated. But a lot of us are really finding it hard to get those spaces where we regularly um, share our faith and talk about Jesus. I would say at least half of us, according to the surveys. Um, so no shame in that. But at Life Church, our heart is that you are ready, like Paul says, that you're equipped that you know um, what you're going to say, so that if somebody says, hey, what's this whole Jesus thing about? Like they just kind of lob you a pitch right down the middle, that you can at least take a swing at it, All right? We want you to be ready, like Paul says, to declare the good word, to just report what happened. So Paul says, be ready to preach, be instant. And then he says, be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Now, what's that supposed to mean? Is there a season on preaching the gospel? Um, you know, in South Dakota, what do we think about when it comes to something being in season? We think of pheasants, right? Um, happy pheasant opener to all of you, uh, maybe who went pheasant hunting yesterday. It's a big holiday in South Dakota. Um, pheasants are now in season. You can actually hunt them. Is that what Paul's saying? Is He's saying there's a season where you shouldn't preach the gospel, and there's a season where you should, and you kind of need to figure that out. No, he's saying, look, there's going to be times where the gospel is not going to be received very well. And there's going to be times where it was received very well. You know, uh, as we heard about with Brainerd's testimony, there's times where the gospel has been received incredibly well. People pour into the kingdom. And there's times where there's a lot of resistance to it. And Paul's saying, who cares? Just preach it no matter what. In season and out of season, you just keep plugging along and don't worry about how it's being received all the time. Tim Keller rightly points out, that in the West, by and large, the gospel is out of season right now. How many of you would agree with that? The gospel is kind of out of season. Um, and he says this for several reasons, but basically he says, look, every culture up until now has said the problem with human beings um, has sought to, human beings have sought to fix the problem with themselves, to become more moral by seeking truth that is outside of them. Right? If you look at the major world religions, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, they're all seeking some truth that's outside of them saying, this is what can help us. This is what can really make us more moral. Um, this is what can make us right. Uh, whereas Keller goes on, he says, look, as opposed to our culture, our culture is the first culture that has said, no, 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 we need to go into ourselves. We need to decide what is right and wrong, and we'll find the strength to be whoever we want to be. So there's no moral order outside of ourselves. Now, Keller rightly asked the question, how do you talk to those people about sin, right? And receiving salvation and grace and forgiveness for that sin in Jesus. Very, very difficult. A difficult conversation to have. But Paul says to young Timothy, don't sweat that. You just keep right on declaring the good news in season and out of season. 
doesn't matter. Just keep preaching. But then he goes further in talking about preaching. He says, preach the word with complete patience and teaching. So if we're going to see people come to know Christ in this culture, it's going to take lots and lots and lots of patience and lots and lots of thoughtful, nuanced teaching. You know, gone are the days where people have this robust background um, in the Christian faith or, or any faith at all, let alone, right? More people in the U.S. now are reporting no religious affiliation at all, more than ever, right? They're the religious nuns. They have no religious affiliation, um, no background. So that means we're going to have to start at square one with lots of people. That means we're going to have to move really slowly. That means you're really going to have to get to know people enough that they'll trust you to listen to what you have to say. It's really, really important. Every now and then you might get an opportunity with a complete stranger, but by and large, this work is going to happen in the context of relationships, in your spheres, in your circles of influence, at your job, um, in your friend circles, with the, the people your kids play soccer with. Those are going to be the opportunities that God provides. And you're going to have to be very, very patient, Paul says. You know, step one might just be unraveling people's negative concepts and opinions of Christians. Right? Christians don't look that great today. Would you agree? Um, the church doesn't have an awesome reputation right now in the U.S. Um, so maybe people have the idea that a Christian is just a person that votes a political way or votes for a political party, and they're just totally in that camp. Um, and, and you need to be that person that kind of helps them see, no, like Jesus is our guy. We follow him. Um, they might have an idea that Christians are people that cover up sexual abuse and scandals in the church. And you need to kind of like help them say, well, you know, though that's happened, that is not, prim- that is not what we believe, right? Maybe it just starts with just being a kind, generous, thoughtful, not crazy person, Right? And just walking alongside them and like they can say, look, that person's a Christian. They're not a total fool. Maybe that's the first step in journeying with someone. You're going to have to be very, very patient. So Paul says lots of patience and teaching is going to be required to preach the word. Now, what have we learned so far? Paul says continue in what you've learned. That means the scriptures, those things your grandma and your mom, your grandpa and your dad taught you about. Right? But then he says preach the word. Do that in season and out of season. Don't pay any attention to what's going on in the culture. You just keep plugging along. And he says, do this with a lot of patience, a lot of teaching. And then finally, he comes to this, this magnetic part of the passage that I, just, I haven't been able to get my brain away from. I almost called this sermon something with ears in it. But watch out for itching ear syndrome. Watch out for itching ear syndrome. Look at verse 3. Paul says, for the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul uses this metaphor that just burns itself into our brains. It's just this powerful word picture that's really hard to forget, this picture of itching ears. And this is something that all of us have to worry about, both as people that are proclaiming the word And as people that are receiving the word into our lives, we have to worry about both sides of things here. Um, And I think Paul makes this point, like all of us um, are prone to having ears that just want to hear what we want to hear. Can we just start by admitting that? Um, Perhaps more than any culture ever today, you are set up to only hear what you want to hear. Because we have Google, right? And Google has algorithms 
that literally monitor all of your searches and only give you what you want to hear about. I wondered for a while why I always get so many articles about fishing and the Golden State Warriors. I'm like, does everybody see this? And then I was like, no, they're tracking my every move and now I'm only hearing about what I want to hear about. So you almost have to create an alias, right? And, and listen to other news stations and, and look at other things in order to get some information that's outside of your little echo chamber. But we're all in these little echo chambers, only listening to, only hearing what our itching ears want to hear. And so the reality is, have you noticed this over the last couple of years? You've grown to have your opinions and your news sources. Have you noticed that you can literally figure out if you're going to disagree or agree with someone almost in the first few sentences that they say? Like, oh, they're coming from that place or that camp, right? Um, when it comes to political things or whatever, like you can just figure it out in just a couple seconds. It's because all of our ears are really, really itchy. So Paul says, what do we do? Well, we instinctively gather around us teachers, podcasts, news stations, celebra uh, celebrities, to tell us what our itching ears want to hear. And when referring to the teachers Paul's talking about here, the, the Greek literally means ear ticklers. Isn't that kind of gross, actually? I was like, how can I make them remember this? Maybe I'll have Jeannie construct a giant ear, and then I'll like, have a feather and tell you nice things about yourselves and tickle it. Because um, that's really what Paul's saying here, is like, there's, there's people that just know what you want to hear, and they just feed it to you. They just tickle your ears, and you're like, oh, that makes me feel so great, doesn't it? That just, that makes me feel awesome. And, and you just walk away always feeling like a million bucks, and Paul says, you got to watch out for that. Watch out for doing that, but watch out for those kinds of teachers that are going to continually do that as well. And this is a big temptation for um, people in the pulpit. Those of us on the preaching team have to watch out for this, because you can tell, right, when you're reading a passage of Scripture and you're like, well, that's not going to be popular. Maybe we should just skip that part or gloss over it or maybe pick a totally different text, right? Paul says, watch out for that. That's a big temptation. Don't do that. Don't give in to ear tickling or itching ear syndrome. And I think this goes for people both in the church and outside the church, right? We, we, we all have itchy ears that hear what we want to hear. And we have to ask ourselves, like, how itchy are my ears? And this is kind of a weird question. How much have I gathered to myself this group of teachers that just tells me what I want to hear? Like, does the word of God ever offend you? Might be a good question. Does it ever offend you? Does it, is it, do you ever bristle at it and say, ah, oh, I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. And granted, maybe that means you need to get more understanding about the word. I'm not saying that you just accept the offensive um, translation or the, the offensive interpretation right away. But if the word of God can never offend you, then chances are you're only letting your ears itch and be tickled. You're only interpreting in such a way that's pleasing and acceptable to you. Like I said at the beginning, Christianity has offended, the, the scriptures have offended every culture since the beginning of Christianity. It just offends people in different ways. If we look back a thousand years, the Bible was offending people in much different ways than it does now. But our culture is still really offended by the Bible in certain ways. So have we sought to have our ears tickled instead of seeking the truth? Paul's final advice to Timothy is watch out for this. This is going to be a temptation. It's 2,000 years old. It's not stopping. It's alive and well in our day. Watch out for this. Don't just, don't just seek to have your ears tickled. Seek the truth. So now in looking at Paul's final instructions to Timothy, we could say, wow, that's a pretty tall order. 
isn't it, that he gives Timothy? I mean, obviously, he's not mincing words. He's on his deathbed. He knows I need to give him some important stuff. And I don't know where this message finds you today. Um, You know, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Like I said, welcome. Thank you for being here. There's going to be people up here to pray for you. There's going to be people up here for you to talk to if you want to ask more questions about what it means to follow Jesus. But maybe you're like me as I was studying this passage and you're feeling just a little bit discouraged because you're like, wow, how do I live up to this? How do I, um, I'm not really measuring up when I read Paul's standard here. When I read his instructions, I'm not always a young disciple like this. It's not easy to continue in what you've learned. It's not easy to be ready to preach in season and out of season, always with patience, always with understanding. It's not easy to avoid the temptation of itching ears or ear tickling. I'm guessing if we're honest, all of us are probably struggling with one aspect or another of Paul's teaching here. So where does this leave us today as disciples of Jesus? Where do we get the strength to live as Paul closes his passage here in verse 5? To always be sober-minded, to endure suffering, to do the work of the evangelist, to fulfill our ministry. Where do we get the wherewithal to do that? I think without question, Paul would have left his son Timothy and would wanted to leave us with our eyes firmly fixed on the one who did everything for us. The one who continued steadfast in what he knew to be right, the one who always preached the good news of the kingdom of God and its coming, whether it was popular or not, the one who resisted the temptation to tickle ears and to have his ears tickled, but always, always told the truth. And of course, this is our Jesus. And you might say, well, hey, Pastor Dave, when was, when was Jesus ever tempted to not continue in what he was called to do? When was he ever tempted to give up? When was he ever tempted by itching ears or tickling ears? Well, there was a time that the gospel writers record where Jesus dealt with all these things, you see. There was a time when he was talking to his father, and there's something that he really wanted to hear, something his ears were itching to hear. There's something that he really, really wanted to get out of. It was the time he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was asking the father, Father, would you let this cup of suffering pass from me? In other words, is there any other way to get your children back, any other way that avoids Suffering, crucifixion, death, hell. And what did the father say? What did he do? What did, he, did he tickle his son's ears? Did he say, sure, son, that's perfectly understandable. We'll figure something else out. No. The answer to Jesus' most fervent prayer request, you understand, was no. There's no other way. It was silence. And, of course, Jesus could have simply quit on it himself. He was equal God with the father. But he didn't. He submitted himself to the Father's will. He submitted himself to his own will. As much as he didn't like what was coming, he dove into it head first. He refused to live by what his itching ears wanted to hear, and he insisted on living by what was true. He lived by what the scriptures had promised, that the Messiah would come, that he would live, that he would die on the cross in our place for our sins that he would rise again on the third day, conquering Satan's sin and death for us. Friends, that's what he's done for you and I. And so, that's the truth that we continue on in, right? That's the thing that we hold to mostly. That's the thing that our parents taught us that we are never, ever to give up on. This truth that Jesus died and rose again from the dead for us. That's the truth that we preach. That's the the good news that we simply report what happened 
And brothers and sisters, may this be the truth that our ears always itch to hear. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We don't always like it, honestly. Sometimes it offends us. Um, Sometimes it seems miserable to us. Help us, like the psalmist wrote, to love your word, to meditate on it, to find life and joy in it. Help us to be like Jesus, who is completely surrendered to the truth, completely surrendered to his Father's plan. We love you and we trust you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.